0: what is going on everybody hopefully you guys are all doing well out there another edition of the sports card show podcast thanks for tuning in hopefully you guys are all doing well out there kick back and relax for the next i think this is going to be a short show maybe only 30 minutes or so we'll see what it ends up being just a couple topics here um just going to be kind of a quick show here i've got maybe about 30 minutes of free time so i'm going to throw one throw one out you guys uh, here just a couple topics we're going to talk about panini's first off the line so panini's going to be releasing a pro basically their products first on their online website. It looks like you can get boxes there with kind of, uh, you know, exclusive content inside. They're going to be doing that. So we'll talk about that. Topps Baseball in 2017, I'm not breaking any news here, has been on absolute fire. I got, I get my, you know, I keep an eye on. I get multiple wholesaler distributors, and now I'm buying a little bit through one of the distributors. Not really any baseball card stuff in particular. Although I did put a pre order in for uh, Bowman's 2017 Bowman's Best Baseball, but then my uh, sales rep said no guarantees on this since I had never bought I hadn't bought any baseball cards all year, so no guarantees there. I might only end up getting a box or two, uh, and then be fine. I might end up opening it anyways. So, But base, Tops Baseball is on fire, so we'll talk about that. Maybe the reason, I don't think we've talked about it before, but we'll talk about kind of the rationale behind that. Uh, giving update on my Amazon sales, as expected, I crossed $10,000 in sales for the month of August. I actually predicted that on Twitter when I was sitting at like $4,000 in sales uh, the previous 30 days. About 30 days ago, I had predicted August would be a $10,000 month. And it was. And I'm predicting September to be flat to maybe down a little bit. And I'll tell you why. Um, I'll give you an update on my $100 check out my cards account. I started that in June of 2015 with $100 on the nose cash. I'll give you an update on that. And finally, I started a new podcast. I might as well talk about that today. I started a new podcast. It's not sports card related. And quite frankly, if I had started a podcast... Uh, outside of the sports card world eight years ago, I'd probably be making a lot more than $0.0 on it because that's exactly how much the sports card show podcast makes is $0.0. Although I get emails from time to time, not as much anymore, but um, I think mainly because people have realized I I do pretty well outside the sports card show podcast. I don't need to fill it with ads and fill it with uh, filler and bring on guests and stuff that are basically paying me to be here or whatever. Um, So, I don't need any of that for this show, but we'll see how my new venture goes. Um, But my other passion in life is kind of, you know, selling on Amazon. I've been excited about that the last two or three months, but also incorporated in the news podcast is setting up websites, online marketing, selling content, selling services on the web. And so, my new podcast is called Power Selling Radio. So, you can go to PowerSellingRadio.com. Check it out! I got a couple episodes up. Got another one coming. I'm actually out of space uh, for the month of August, so um, the next podcast will be. I have one uh, pre-recorded that I'll be posting right around August f- or September first. So, um, check it out: PowersellingRadio.com. You can I th- you can probably search it in iTunes. Still really new, so you might be able to find it in iTunes. I don't know. I know I'm up on Stitcher now. I don't know how well those search engines work for new content, but uh, it is up on those two iTunes and um, Stitcher radio in particular. But check it out. I got a couple, you know, really just scratching the surface level. Uh, But uh, my plan is to do two or three of those a month and really start getting in depth in terms of ad buying, ad targeting. Um, And then as I move through Amazon... As I'll talk about on today's show, you know I'm at ten thousand dollars in sales. Obviously, I'm, I've got a hundred thousand dollar goal for the year. I think I've got, I don't know, twenty th- almost, you know, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars worth of sales for the year. So I've got a ways to go to hit that goal, but I think during the Christmas season I should be able to. But getting into private label products, I've actually just placed the order today. I've been going through the design phase and the manufacturer search phase, and so I just spent. Uh, a significant amount of money today uh, securing that order. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's real. you know, I've never spent this much money on product that I have no idea whether I'll sell it or not. Whereas, you know, with wholesale and even going to retail stores, you kind of know that it's going to sell. Whereas this product, it's totally brand new to a market. I don't know if it's going to sell. So I'm kind of nervous, but at the same time, kind of excited. So we'll talk about that. But uh, if you want to hear more about that, you know, I'll sprinkle it in here on the show when it becomes, uh, you know it's on topic, and then like on today's show, I don't have a ton of sports card topics, so I'll slip in Amazon. But for the most part, I'm going to be taking a lot of that discussion over to my new podcast. So I'd appreciate it if you're interested in it. Check it out, share it with a friend, um, do all that. Uh, as a new, as it being a new podcast, it's not like this show. I can like take two months off, throw up a show, and get plenty of downloads and plenty of emails if I need them, and, and tweets and stuff like that. Whereas that show's brand new, I don't. I don't know more than five people have listened to it, so um, I'd appreciate it if you check it out if you're interested in it, in it. Anyways, moving on to Panini. First off the line, this came out, I think last week, Panini announced that it will be rolling out its products, I think most of them, initially on their own website. And I've actually noticed when I'm surfing other websites, Panini ads have been showing up more. So I think they're they're really making a push. I mean, they've been pushing into direct to consumer, but. Um you know, I think this is, this is a further push into this. As someone mentioned on my Twitter stream, they were like, why didn't they just do EPAC? You know what I mean? Why haven't they crossed that bridge? I don't know why they haven't, um, you know, why haven't Panini and Tops ventured into EPAC since I would literally be clicking buttons and opening packs myself. That's not something I'm not going to get one of these first of the line. I'm not going to be buying Panini boxes this year. I have the opportunity to buy Panini boxes wholesale. I balk at every opportunity, but. um you know, this first off the line, kind of interesting as, as somebody that, uh, you know, again, casually collects cards. I don't really buy boxes to open them, but I could see if you were into this and into the product or into the player content that might be inside, this is pretty cool, I think. Um, and it definitely kind of sends, a message, again, this message, this message should be loud and clear to group breakers, to even like distributors, to especially retail shops, hobby shops, but especially like group breakers because group breakers tend to think like Panini's our friend, Panini's our, you know, our business partner. Panini doesn't care about you, okay? The only people Panini really cares about are, their, are themselves, Number one, first and foremost, and number two, their relationship with the league, because that's, those are really the only two things that matter and really the only thing, two things that make the business go. There seems to, however many times, Penny screws up, puts out a crappy product, which is pretty much 95% of them, puts out cards that have player-worn stuff in it that's labeled game-worn, that put out auto-penned autographs of the leagues of that sport's biggest star in terms of rookie cards. People still tend to buy this stuff for whatever reason. So Panini doesn't care about their customers because they pull one over on you every other week and you're still there. So it's basically like you know having a girlfriend, cheating on her, not calling her, not calling her on your anniversary or, your, or her birthday or whatever it is, but she still puts out or she's still there for you whenever you need to. So of course, you're going to treat her like crap. And that's basically the relationship Panini has with its customers. You guys are the, the girlfriend that just puts out, that just does whatever, she, uh, whatever Panini wants you to do, no matter how badly they treat you. Sometimes occasionally they might throw you a bone every once in a while, but most of the time they're treating you bad and you're there for her. So uh, Panini's doing first off the line, Uh, you know how much it will cut into, I think for for the most part, it's going to cut more into probably hobby shops because it is the, it is the same or similar experience you're going to get at a hobby shop. How fast the cards are delivered to you would be, you know, you know, if it takes a week, if they send it UPS ground, and it takes a week to get there, then I don't know how impressive this first off the line. But if they use like Amazon FBA or another fulfillment party like that that can get a product to you in two days or less can leverage their systems to get you product in two days or less well maybe it would be kind of cool because you do you all you will be the first to open the box you could post the first break on youtube or in the forums or on twitter or instagram and facebook and stuff like that and obviously if you're interested in selling you can be the first one on ebay or one of the first people on ebay with cards whereas typically those are you know maybe hobby dealers that are close to the distribution point or breakers that are Close again, close to the distribution point, and get this stuff the very first day quote unquote, the first day it comes out or the second day it is officially released. So, depending on when this stuff arrives to the cut, actually, you know, arrives to the customer's door, might be kind of cool. Um, I could definitely see how collectors could be interested in this, and it also will depend on the exclusive content. What kind of content is inside? I know they announced that there'll be like special parallels or whatever. How good and how collectible that stuff will be kind of remains to be seen. My guess is Panini will be will have inventory of this stuff left over, how that gets disposed of at some point, whether it goes onto DealerNet dealer net and then gets, you know, filtered out into the group break community or on DA or blowout um, so that that might affect the the resale or kind of the demand for this kind of stuff. But I can imagine the demand for this. It will be uh, marginally strong. It wouldn't surprise me, too. Don't quote me on this, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Panini actually kind of quote-unquote, loads loads it up a little bit, at least right in the beginning, to get some buzz. I mean, if I was Panini, that's what I would do. I would load up the first couple boxes or first couple shipments of this stuff. So people are like, oh, my God, look at this first-off-the-line stuff. It, like, is way better than even a hobby box. So um, if Panini is – what I think Panini could – I don't think they're going to execute it in this fashion, but what, what for me as a business standpoint, I think Panini really needs you know, different tiers of their product. Think about a company like Nike. So you can go to like Kohl's and like TJ Maxx and like Ross, and you can go to a lot, and JCPenney's, you can go to a lot of different stores and find Nike gear. So you're going to find a T-shirt with a Nike swoosh on it. They're going to have hoodies with Nike swoosh. They're going to have sweatpants with Nike shoes. They might have a little bit of Jordan stuff here and there. Probably not a Kohl's, but maybe like a JCPenney's. Definitely something like Macy's will probably have some Jordan gear. But we all know if you want the really cool Nike stuff, you got to go to a place like Foot Locker. Even a place like Foot Locker is not going to have it all. You really got to go to like the Nike town store. Some of the nicest Nike stuff I've bought is at the Nike shops in Las Vegas or, you know, if I'm in Los Angeles or wherever I'm at, you know, the Nike stuff's going to be cool there. And obviously, too, the coolest Nike stuff is going to be online as well. If you have their sneakers app, that's where you can get all the, you know, VaporMax and all the really big hot sneakers that are really cool. So I think what Panini could do here is really create a third tier of products. So you have hobby and retail right now, and we're pretty comfortable knowing the difference between the two. Retail products are going to be found at your Target and Walmart. It's going to be a one-hit max kind of situation. There, you know, your odds of getting something is fairly low, but there are cards in there. Then you got your hobby box, which obviously you're sold through blowout and DA. Hobby shops and group breakers have access to that. What Panini really, I think, would really like like to do, or what I think they really should do, is create an, a third premium tier, a, a, a tier above a hobby box. So you've got a hobby box of, let's call it, Panini contenders, and you have retail box of Panini contenders. Well, this first off the line Panini contenders has the potential to be more desirable than the hobby box. And I actually think that would be the ideal strategy that I would go with. You know, it's like having the Nike sweatpants that you can get at Macy's, having the Nike sweatpants that you can get at Foot Locker, and then having the Nike sweatpants that are only available online and are, you know, a certain color. I mean, it's probably a better example with the shoes because the shoes are are more differentiated than a pair of sweatpants. And I really think Panini could really differentiate the product enough to where it's like, wow, opening this Panini first of the line is different than opening a hobby box and certainly different than opening a retail box. If all Panini does is throw in like an extra set and that's all that's different about it, you know, after the first two or three products demand and interest in this kind of thing is going to fizzle out. But if they successfully create a third tier, essentially like the top tier of a hobby box, basically a hobby box, but this just is even better than that. Um, just delivers more um, "quote unquote" value or the opportunity to get something really good. Then I think Panini will be onto something. I think they'll be onto something that will ha- get have some traction throughout the whole life cycle of you know a season of a product, whether it's basketball or football. So we'll see what, how they end up implementing it, how it ends up going, what, how you can tell, you know, it'd be interesting. Do they just stick a sticker on it? You know, I think that'd probably be the easiest thing to do, but how do you know this is any first off the line? You know, how is it, how are you going to tell, you know, what, what, you know, if it's unopened and it's at for sale at a dealer show or online on eBay or whatever, how are you going to know? So information again, Drives. I think my brother's, uh, you know, has really said this pretty well on his podcast, and I think he got it from PSA, Professional Sports Authenticators, um, you know, Collectors Universe. Really believes that information drives sales. Within the hobby, and I think all these companies, you know, they think, oh, I can put up a blog post and a tweet, and that's that's driving information. Not really. I think they really could go deeper and dig dig further down. They really should have their reps on these forums, um, reply, have you know, have you know, have and the dedicated reps, I mean, it doesn't have to be their only job, but, you know, Tracy Hackler, after he writes his one blog post for the day, should really go be going over to blowout forums and answering questions, uh, interacting with the community over there, um, interacting more on on social media and things like that. I think the the sites could have their own forums. Why go to blowout when you could just have paniniamerica.com forums and facilitate the discussion over there? And this kind of information will really help uh, drive this stuff. Uh, and again, we'll see how Pinini implements it and, and what they end up doing with it. But uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. But again, it kind of you know, if you're a, a breaker out there, I was also on the breaker, breakerculture.com because I don't know one of their tweets showed up in my timeline, so I clicked over their website That's because I hadn't been there in a while. And God, there's a, there's a, I mean, there's the same motley crew of breakers that, that have been around for four or five, six years, but there's a lot of them out there now. And um, again, it's a low margin, low barrier of entry business. You pretty much need, uh, you know, you pretty much need a webcam and, uh, you know, a wholesale account. You might not even need that. You can order from blowout for about the price of wholesale. So you don't even need a resale ID number. And that's about it, you know. Uh, there's not a whole lot of barrier for entry and the the you know the fluidness your customers can go from one breaker to another there's there's like no restrictions on that I can you know buy a spot into one guy one day and another guy the next day and there's really no no difference quite frankly uh between the two experiences so um you know, the more of this first off the line, I fully expect Panini and Tops will eventually smarten up and, and partner with Check on My Cards and, and do a version or, a, you know, of you know, something like ePack to where you're able to open up packs digitally and that'll basically put, the, uh, put another nail. I don't, not not the, all the nails have been nailed shut on the braking industry. Obviously, there's enough people in it, but with that many people in braking and then all these opportunities that the manufacturers can sell direct your opportunity to really make a lot of money is almost zero, you know? Yeah, you might be able to scratch out some dollars here and there, but you're working pretty hard. As I'll go over uh, in another segment or so, I'm going to go over my $10,000 in sales on Amazon. Yes, I had to work. I think people, you know, oh my God, you had to, what did you have to do? You know, how much time did you have to spend? I'd say it's about two days of work. In terms of, you know, two full day, not full eight hour days, but I'd say, you know, at least six, seven hours on two different days. That's mainly, uh, uploading the products into Amazon, making sure I have them in my catalog. If they are in my catalog, it goes a little faster. Like if it's kind of a restock situation, it goes a little faster, but, um, boxing the stuff up does take a little bit of time. So especially I've been shipping in more units. I've been shipping in 300 units, 400 units, it does take a while to box that stuff up. I have been up, you know, past you know nine, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, putting that stuff together. So, but you know, the next day I, I'm not working on it. I don't have to b- break another set or sell another spot, or you know, I don't have to break the next case. Um, you know, once the stuff gets sent in the Amazon, it's really almost like a check on my card situation. You're just pricing it competitively, and uh, when it sells. It goes through, and that's it. You know, occasionally you'll get an. E- occasionally, I'll get an email like once a week. I'll get an email from a customer, but usually it's pretty a a pretty benign question. Um, or if, you know, it's just something that's easy to answer. Sometimes it's like product specific. Sometimes they want to know where you're located. I think to avoid paying sales tax, but, um, I haven't really had a lot of customer service requests on Amazon. They, they handle that. Obviously I've had plenty of returns and stuff like that, but you know, in terms of time spent, it's a really high ROI. Whereas group breaking, God, you're sitting there, you're packing, you're shipping, you're doing all this stuff. Um, you know, you have to pay. If, if you want to have employees, you have to pay them and have them there and, you know, trust them that they're not going to run off with your cards. Um, it's just not, again, we've gone over this ad nauseum on this show and, uh, you know, I think I got tons of emails in the beginning. Oh no, group breaking is going to take over the hobby and this, that, and the other, and we're going to put everybody out of business and this and that. And it turned out not to be true. You guys are barely scraping by making a little bit of money. Guarantee you're making about the same amount of money you did this year as you did last year. Whereas, you know, I'm going to do- double or triple my online sales every month. And not really have to do a lot of work, you know, a day or two here and there. We'll get to that though. I want to talk about tops. Tops baseball is just absolutely on fire. I got what made me think of this is I got an in stock list from one of the distributors, and it was like tops. It was like tops in stock list, and then the next one was Panini's in stock list. So I opened up the Panini one, and it's like anything you want you can buy. You know, and there might be a set or two that that sold out or whatever, but it was like. Anything you wanted, football, baseball, basketball, you can buy, you know, it's sitting there at the distributor's warehouse for about the same price or a little bit lower than original wholesale cost. I was looking at the tops baseball in stock list. The only 2017 products that were on there were Allen and Ginter, which is predictable. It's not, it, it it's not rookie focus and might not have, I don't know if it has Aaron judge in it or not, but probably not at, at the price and the fact that it's available. But every other, I think maybe top series two update or something, or whatever set that just came out recently for tops was available. I don't think they had a bunch of cases of it, but they had some of it. Those were the only two 2017 products that were available from tops. So pretty incredible. They've had a really nice year, I think, with baseball. Although I read a Mo- Moody's, um, which is a rating agency, and like a credit rated credit rating agency. So Moody's and I can't Standard and Poor's. I think is the other one. And uh, these guys, you know, they were part of the reason why the housing crisis. Uh, happened because they, they were in bed with the banks and basically stamping stuff as AAA, which wasn't. So you got to take the ratings with a grain of salt. But I think they updated Topps credit rating. And I was reading the note just the other day. They did this just last month and I was reading the note and they said tops had to borrow a little bit of more money than they thought, than they anticipated. Part of that might be due to the, the non-successful uh, digital apps that they basically have now other parts of the business haven't been performing as well and so Tops has had to uh, draw on a credit line a little bit more than anticipated it affected their credit rating also they weren't as profitable and weren't doing as well in the first half of the year but they said they, they ante- Moody's this is Moody's I'm talking about anticipated Tops was going to have a little bit better the second part of the year mainly due to baseball and uh, you know chances are a company like Tops is like You know, I think they put out Top Series 1 late January, early February. You know, you're not going to get – they're probably not – Tops is really not going to start generating a ton of, like, free cash flow or start really seeing a lot of free cash from the 2017 baseball season until this back half of the year. Once they've come out with a lot of products, those products have all sold through – then I think they really start seeing the cash flow. So I think Tops is fine financially. I don't think they're having any problems. They did do do a dividend to the private equity investors. So I think I don't know it was like thirty or forty million. I could be wrong on that, but that's floating out there in the internet. If you want to know the specifics about it, but um, you know, keep in mind Tops was purchased for three hundred and something million dollars. So. You know the dividends got to be pretty fat to, to recoup that from the investor base, but um, you know it's been a really good year for Topps baseball. How will 2018 be? I really don't know, but I have a feeling Topps is really going to be able to carry this momentum into 2018, even uh, absent of uh, someone like you know. I, I think it's safe to say we'll be absent of uh, you know a phenomenon like Aaron Judge, but somebody or two guys. You know, might be able to not replicate what Aaron Judge has done, but, you know, one or two guys should emerge, and tops should do just fine. Um, and, and, again, I think they, they will be able to parlay kind of the sales success they've had this year and roll that into 2018. Even if it's a little bit softer, Topps is you know, quote unquote made to order. So they'll pair back a little bit. If the demand's not quite as strong, they'll pair back on their, and Panini doesn't do this, but tops will pair back a little bit on their production. So it will help if there's not a, a big rookie kind of driving the sales, big dollar, high dollar ticket rookie, uh, driving the sales, you know, It still should be pretty good. And there's enough young stars in baseball. You got Mike Trout autos, which are all worth a couple hundred bucks when you pull one. Chris Bryant, I think his stuff has softened this year. But his autograph is still pretty desirable, even a second, third, fourth year card of his. Aaron Judge. Okay, he's going to have stuff, and you know, I think he did sign an autograph deal with somebody, so his his stuff might be, um, you know, limited a little bit. I don't know if he'll be popping out of every box, but neither is Trout, neither is Bryant. So, um, you know, I think we'll see. Uh, you know those guys kind of dr- still driving some of the sales and then again I think you'll have you'll, I'm not an expert I don't know anything about prospect cards or who's good going to be good in the minor leagues this year and that will, who will that'll translate into next year I don't think most people do anyways but uh you know, I think we'll, we'll see. That'll, that'll roll right into next year. And maybe what I'll end up doing is since I've have access to this tops pre-sale stuff, maybe I'll start pre, pre-buying some of this stuff so I can be allocated when, a, you know, a hot set does come out, I can actually be allocated a full allotment of a case or something. Um, I might end up doing that. I think I actually even put in an order for a case of 2018 Series 1. How I'll sell it, how I'll get rid of it, I can't obviously sell that on Amazon. It is a gated category uh, in terms of especially like hobby boxes, but um, I probably can unload it on eBay or something, or I'll find a, a breaker that'll, you know, I'll wholesale it to or something. I don't know, but, um, you know, it might be worth, it's probably worth, it, it would have been worth doing uh, throughout 2017, I'm obviously a little late to the party, but, um, you know, I think 2000, I think tops will be able to parlay this into 2018 a little bit. The, the other main reason why I think baseball is just doing well is people have given up on Panini. People have given up on Panini football, Panini basketball. It's just garbage. It really is. I mean, Panini basketball this year might be mildly compelling. And Panini bad. I will say some of the stuff I do, I do have a pretty firm ban on buying anything Panini. I mean, occasionally I'll buy uh, some of their cards on check on my cards. I am guilty of that occasionally, but I do try to avoid it for the most part, even when it's a, a relatively good deal or a player that I recognize. I try to avoid it, but hey, sometimes you can't. Maybe I buy Alonzo Ball card this year. Maybe I don't. I I really think I'd rather go the... You know, go the Lakers charity. Maybe I don't know if the Lakers have this for a fact, but I'd rather go like Lakers charity auction or NBA auction. I think does exist. I'd rather go that route and get. Um, you know, I don't know if I could afford one of his jerseys, but I'd rather you know get a warm up jersey or a pair of his uh, socks or a sweatband or something. I think I'd rather go that route than pay four hundred dollars for a piece of cardboard or something that maybe auto penned or whatever. And not to mention, Panini continues to tarnish their brand and tarnish uh, their image and tarnish the demand for their products. So, again, I'd much rather have something that was a little bit closer tied to Lonzo Ball. I think I'll be more on the look. Maybe, you know, again, make, they launched those sneakers through the Big Baller brand for a thousand bucks or something. You know, if he ends up being a good player, probably not a bad deal at all. Um, but. I think what I'll end up doing is more go that that route. You know, maybe, you know, again, maybe i will get, get something through Big Baller brand or uh, something of that nature. But, you know, I think a lot of people have just turned on Panini. And if you were a Topps guy, you probably collected a little bit of Topps football. And now that they don't have football, you've pretty much transferred all your buying power into baseball. And since baseball has been extremely compelling, and I do believe... Tops baseball products have have at least at the very least uh remained compelling i don 't know how great of a value they are or whatever i you know i don 't see enough of this stuff opened or you know i don 't put up the checklist or anything like that anymore so i don 't really know what's in this stuff, but you know at least from what i've seen around the the community. And obviously, through in stock lists being absent of anything 2017 tops and really anything 2016 as well, people are opening this stuff up and buying it. So, it is a compelling product and probably worth buying. So, um, you know, that's about all I have to say about that. Tops baseball is on fire. I don't think, we're, again, I don't think we're breaking any news. Um, on to Amazon. So, let me bring up my stats. Last month, I did about—I think I did about four or five thousand. Actually, I can figure that out here really quick if you give me the pleasure of clicking around on my internet. Um, Month to date, so we're right at the end of August—not even full uh, full month of August—but I have ten thousand three hundred and four dollars and ninety-seven cents in sales. Average selling price of $24.54 per item. And that's about where you want to be with Amazon. Because what I found is, I actually have a a specific item I've been selling on Amazon. It's been selling really well. And I started out selling it at $24.99. But then what I realized is, it doesn't make sense to price something at $24.99 on Amazon. And that's because you get free shipping over $25. So you might, you're might you actually doing the customer a favor. If they just wanna buy one item, you might as well bump it up to 25. So I actually bumped. Here's the funny thing is, I was averaging maybe two sales a day on this item. that I had it at $24.99. And then I reordered more, got more of it in stock, really stocked up and sent in more. So, cause it was like selling a lot faster than I thought. I thought it was going to sell like two or three a week and I was selling two or three a day. And so I, I restocked it and I bumped the price up. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to sell this for 25 because I noticed a lot of people are buying this and let's see what the results are. Bumped up to 25 and all of a sudden now I'm selling four to five a day. So it like doubled my sales. So I've sold uh, 420 items. 459 units orders, that's 1.09 items of order. You know, occasionally you get people buy two of your stuff. Uh not not all the time, but sometimes they buy two lots of things. So, but hey, ten thousand dollars. Last month I did four thousand nine hundred and thirty-four dollars and nineteen cents on two hundred and forty-five units. So I've literally just doubled my sales so in a month. And now, I fully expected that. Last month, I actually had a tweet where I said, here I am sitting at $4,000 worth of sales. In August, I'll, I'll likely do 10K. I, even, I have record of that on Twitter. Um, And the reason why I said that is because I could see the sales velocity. I had a lot of inventory that I was still getting onto the site. You know, it takes a while, especially when you're sending it from California to like a Florida fulfillment center that it takes a week to get there and takes another two to three days to get on the site. And so counting, you know, holidays and weekends and stuff like that. Sometimes you're looking at like a 10 day, 14, maybe even a 14 day lead time to actually get the items on the site. Now, I am lucky to be out here in California. A lot of sales happening out here in California. So what's cool is a lot of my items, I'll typically send my items to either Florida or California. That's just what I've found. And occasionally like Pennsylvania, some of these other fulfillment centers, uh, my, uh, my items get sent to. But typically out here in California, I'll do, you know, if I have 200 units, Amazon will kind of split them in half. I'll send about 100 over here to California and 100 over to Florida. What's good about the California fulfillment center is it's literally one day. Like it's literally the very next day my items get put onto Amazon. So I'll, even if I, you know, what I do is I box up the items and I take them, it's actually right around the corner. I have a basically a, a, the equivalent to a UPS store. I take it over there because I know the UPS guy picks it up before the end of the day. So as long as I get it to there before about four o'clock, um, the UPS guy will pick it up that day. And literally the very next day, it's delivered to Amazon. And the California Fulfillment Center that I send to is really good. Um, I think they have good employees and and it's run really well because literally my items are put up there um, the very next day. So it's very cool. You're able to buy items or get them, you know, have a a bunch of items, send them in very next day. They're on Amazon. And, you know, most of this stuff is selling at a pretty good clip, especially if you price it right. Um, So pretty good. $10,000 sales. You might be wondering, what did I profit Off that $10,000, and I actually have this is approximate numbers. Um, And this does include a lot of other costs. I bought some boxes this month. I spent like over $100 on boxes because I was like running out of boxes to send stuff into Amazon. So um, I bought $100 in boxes. I bought tape. I bought these little stickers to kind of seal stuff up because I send in a lot of glassware um, in boxes and I don't want the boxes to pop open and the glasses to break. So I put these little like circle sticker tape thing on there basically to tape the box up but kind of in a, a like you know not that I'm using like scotch tape so it looks cheap. Um, so I do that I spent you know I spend $20 a month on this accounting software, it's $40 a month to be a professional Amazon seller, etc, etc, etc. There's a lot of cost in here. Um, and, and and including what this this calculates to is shipping into Amazon. Just the other day, again, I sent in 300 units to Amazon. I think it was eight UPS boxes that cost me over $95. So there, you know, that's an expense and I keep track of that. So anyways, so I have 10,000, over $10,000 in sales, 459 units sold. Um, I had $8,280 in cost. So cost of goods sold, was $4,500, actually, you know, about half of what my total sales were. Order fees is are Amazon's basically shipping, uh, you know, Amazon, not shipping fees, this is Amazon FBA fees, essentially, and, you know, selling on their platform were $3,190. So Amazon did pretty well of me. Uh, shipping, again, this is shipping into Amazon. So I get the products And then I ship it into Amazon, $328.95. So UPS did pretty well off me this month. They made 320, I mean, not all profit, but revenue-wise. They made $328 off me. And again, I'm a a small-time seller here. Other, which is boxes, uh, my seller professional fees, et cetera, et cetera, was $208. And then I have recurring fees, which is like software and some other stuff that was sitting at $58. So my total profit... Drum roll please. Again, we're not through the whole month of August yet, but this is all, you know we got one day to go. I'm sitting at dollars and four hundred seventy six dollars and sixty three cents. One thousand four hundred seventy six dollars and sixty three cents. Again, uh, and then that's a fifteen percent margin. So about you know about ten thousand dollars in sales. And I made about $1,500. So it's about 15% 15 margin, 14 point something percent. I think this software rounds up and it rounded up to 15%. So 15% margin. Some of you guys might say, oh my God, that is so, that's really low. And maybe 15% margin is really low. But guys, I'm not trying to, to, number one, I'm not trying to squeeze every last dollar out of this. Trust me, if the lowest price on Amazon, if I go to TJ Maxx and buy a coffee mug, for four ninety nine, and the lowest price on Amazon is nineteen ninety nine. I'm coming in there aggressively seventeen ninety nine, sixteen ninety nine. If I only if I buy something for four ninety nine and I make two dollars on it, I'm fine with that. I'm not trying to you know price it at four cents under you know the lowest price, and then they undercut me, and then then we keep undercutting each other until we get down to that kind of blow it out price. I'm really trying to blow through this stuff and just kind of turn and burn inventory. So. But even so, 15% margin. Again, I, I'm working. I've probably worked. If I actually paid somebody else to do all this work for me, I probably would would be at two full time days. So you're probably looking at about 16, you know, 16 hours of work or so is what, what I would estimate, And you know, Hey, even if I paid somebody 14, $15 an hour and my net profit was $1,400, I could afford to pay someone three, you know, pretty well, actually, I could pay them almost $20 an hour and I'd still be coming out. And that's what a lot of big time sellers, you know, and maybe I'll end up getting to that point, but. Uh, again, I don't, this, what this all doesn't, when I talk about two days of work, I'm not counting the time go, going to Home Depot, going to TJ Maxx. The reason why I don't count that is the times I go out are number one, I'm already at that store. I'm going there to buy something else or I'm in the air, I'm at the grocery store and TJ Maxx is next door. So it's kind of convenient to do that. Number two, and more importantly, is there are days when my wife is at work and I'm here alone with my son. And my son has the desire to be held 24 hours a day. Uh, And we have his mom to thank for that, I think. So my son likes to be held or cuddled or played with. You know, he likes you to pay attention to him. The only other time he is quiet. Is when he takes he takes maybe an hour nap during the day. he sleeps through the night, which I'm lucky, uh, or for the most part. He, you know he wakes up every once in a while, but it's not it's nothing really too too bad. So he sleeps through the night. So he doesn't take a lot of naps during the day. Here and there, he will take one for an hour or two. Um, some days, if he has a busy day, the day before he might take a three hour nap. But for the most part, he's only quiet. <laughs> When he's in the stroller. So I'll go on a walk every morning. I go, we live right next to a park in a really nice neighborhood. So I'll take him, you know, I'll listen to I've got a couple podcasts I listen to. I download them and I listen to them. in fact I bought the the new this side note. I bought the new Apple AirPods, the little headphones. Those are amazing. So if you're an Apple user and you haven't been able to pick those up, the thing is I've been trying to order them for a while, but every time I'm online, it's like you know, they're like four weeks out. You have to wait like four weeks to get them. So I was like, ah, oh, screw this. I'll just wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Uh, finally, I noticed that the apple.com was four weeks out, but then the Apple store that's near me, it's only like a 20 minute drive. Um, the Apple store that's near me had them in stock and I could pick them up that day. So I ended up ordering them, picking them up the next day and uh, they're awesome. And certainly if you have a son or someone you're constantly picking, I've been doing yard work and stuff and Bill have it, have it in, it's really cool. But anyways, the only other time my son is quiet is when he's in the stroller and we're pu- I'm pushing him around at TJ Maxx or a Home Depot, or again, he's in the car and we're driving between stores. So I almost count that as like my peace and quiet time, and I don't count that in terms of my work, because if I was here and I didn't have this Amazon business, I'd have to find some other way to occupy my son so he wasn't just sitting there crying the whole time. And so... Um, what I'm counting here in two days of work to make this fourteen hundred dollars profit is at home. I have all the products. Uh, you know, it's peeling labels off stuff I buy in stores. It's boxing up stuff. It's packing, making sure it's in the right box, weighing it, taping it, putting it in the car. I might have to get an SUV here. My wife wants an SUV. I don't really, you know, I don't really want an SUV. I know the one that I would get. Um, it's more expensive than the car I have now. So we'll see if I end up going that route. But um, you know, I might have to get an SUV because I have to fold down the seats in my car and you know, all this and that. And uh, it'd probably be easier to have a little bit bigger car, but we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, if I keep making fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 a month in profit, I'll probably be able to buy a new car pretty soon. But um, so this is you know fourteen fifteen hundred dollar profit. I'm talking about the time I spend in front of the computer entering the barcodes in, loading it up, putting a price on it. Um, you know, taping up the boxes, etc., etc. It doesn't include you know going to Home Depot, going to the Ross and the TJ Maxx where I'm buying all this stuff. That's a lot. That's a lot more time. If I calculate the time on that, we're talking probably we're probably up to four or five days. Of you know four or five days of work to make fifteen hundred dollars, so it's probably a little less impressive in that sense. And if you're someone with not, if you already got an eight hour a day job, and then you come home and that's really your family time, and certainly in a year or two, uh, you know, when when instead of going out with my son, you know, doing you know you know pushing him in a stroller, we're gonna go out, we're gonna go play baseball, we'll go play around a round of golf or something like that. Um, you know, we're probably not going to be going out and shopping. And so this Amazon thing, really what I'm going to be doing is transition more into wholesale, where it's just kind of buying the stuff and putting it in a box and and sending it in. That's a little bit easier than having to go to a store, find out what to buy, buy it, check out, sometimes have to stand in line, peel the labels off, upload it into Amazon, because it's typically a lot of one-off products that does take a lot of time. Your profit margin is really good. I've sold handbags and backpacks of really handbags and backpack are my two highest margin stuff. I mean, I'm buying handbags for $29.99 and selling them for $79.99. So you're really doing really, even after fees, you're really doing well. You're like doubling your money. So I might look for, keep my eye out for the more high margin stuff. But what I'm going to transition over into is private label which, uh, white label, private label, whatever you want to call it, basically creating my own product. So I have my own product on the way. I just, it's it's currently being, you know, today was the first day I authorized, uh, starting manufacturing and I put it down a 50% down payment, which was over $3,000. And I will owe the other 50%, which is a little over $3,000, uh, in about 30 days. So, I'm, you know, I'm sweating a little bit thinking about. Oh my god! I just dropped sixty two hundred dollars on not a lot of units either. This is only going to be about five hundred units of a product. Essentially, this is like a test. So I'm going to be testing this product out. The good thing is, though, I have a website that is extraordinarily popular. That it's not sports car radio or anything sports related. Quite frankly. Um, but I have a website that's related to this product where I get a lot of traffic. I have an email list. I'm going to be able to drive some sales right off the bat just from traffic I already have going to a website. I'll be able to run some contests on that website. I'll be able to um, promote it on that website and hopefully drive some interest, drive some sales um, that way. So I can almost guarantee I'll be marginally successful in that sense. Also within my research, once I start ranking on Amazon for an organic term, so basically like someone types in my item into Amazon, and once I start showing up somewhere on probably the first page or the second page, the first two pages I think will be will be good enough to earn me between two to five sales a day. Obviously, if I'm really high up on the first page, um, I'll be able to get... Over ten sales a day, at least from the research that I've done, and uh, you know, kind of crunching the numbers. Also on Amazon, you have pay per click, so you're able to to buy ads and show up essentially at the top or near the top for for search terms. So I'll definitely be turning that on. Obviously, that trims your margin. So, um, and I will say, on this first product launch, a lot of people, I think, make the mis- i think a big mistake for me and a lot. What a lot of people. Um, maybe even listening to this, and a lot of people that I've heard in the Amazon business is they, they try to buy 500 units of a product, and then they try to turn a profit on that. I'm not really, quite frankly, I'm looking to spend $6,000 on this product, and if I lose 1000 but I'm able to validate, hey, I get five sales a day at this, at this dollar, at this price point, um, that will ultimately validate the product and then Two, two things, two things I can, two things will happen at that point. Number one, I can decide if I'm gonna reorder this product, okay? And what I can do is then order more quantity because I ordered in, at a $500 unit cost and that cost me X amount of dollars um, per unit. Now, almost $10, basically $10 a unit. Now, I can reorder at about 1,000 units or maybe 1,500 units and drive that price down a couple dollars. Second thing is, for the first 500 units, I'll be doing pay-per-click. I'll be doing contests and giveaways, maybe even doing like a discount call where it's buy one, get one 50% off, et cetera, et cetera, to drive sales of the product. And the cool thing about Amazon is, if you drive sales... And drive reviews, drive ranking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, You start moving up the list. It's almost like a website where you know you start putting up good content and good, uh, you know, good regular content. People expect, you know, kind of know what to expect from your website. They're going to come back for free. They're not going to have to click through your Facebook ad. They're not going to have to click through. Uh, you know, they're going to come to it directly, or they're going to find you in Google. You know, you're going to move up the rankings in Google instead of being on the fourth page of Google. You'll be on the first page, and you'll be the second result. So that will happen if I drive enough sales of this product. Drive enough sales at a certain conversion, I should start moving up the rank. And, the, and this is a product line. Literally, there's like one competitor, and the, like there's like a couple other competitors, but I wouldn't even really call them that. They're more wholes. They're really wholesaling a product. I'm really creating the product and adding some features to it, which I know, again, I know this market pretty well, and I know that uh, it's a product that's in demand that people want. I know what the people want, and quite frankly, the one competitor on eBay or on Amazon that is selling it isn't doing that great of a job, okay, because they have a lot of other product lines, and it's not something that they're probably really putting their full faith and effort in. Given that this is my very first product, of many likely, but this is my very first product. I'm going to put a lot of heat behind it. And again, on this first $6,000 order, I'm looking to go through the units, but I'm not really looking to make... A ton of money, if at all. Obviously, I want to be as close to break even as possible. But if I lose $1,000, but I'm able, again, validate the product, see how many sell per day, and then boom, do a reorder where I save 2 to $3 a unit. And then in turn, I'm up on the organic rankings on Amazon, I'll be able to maybe dial back the PPC, which will, okay, the lower unit price will bump my margin up. And then I'll be able to dial back PPC, maybe even turn it off altogether, or maybe again, only run it on the very, like the two or three search terms, which I know are like a direct hit on the product, then boom. That'll make my margins go up as well. I won't have to do giveaways and buy one get one free's or whatever I have to do to drive other sales off my website. Really, you know, because I'll have a website, you know, basically running kind of a. I'll have my website property running a banner ad to go buy this product. I'm gonna have to entice people to click on it, so it's gonna have to be a contest. It's gonna have to be a buy one get one free or a coupon code. I won't necessarily have to do that either because I'll be getting all this organic traffic coming in from Amazon. On top of that. We should be rolling right over into the holiday season. I'll really have to time my inventory very well. I might even have to reorder a little earlier than anticipated. I might have to reorder a little bit faster than I wanted to. But, um, you know, I'll be running into the holiday season where if I'm up on the organic results, I may be running through 20 or 30 of these a day um, because it is, it, it is a, it's not a seasonal product, but it is a product that certainly uh, could be given as a gift. And could be uh, could go really well as uh, something that you give as a gift. But again, it's not a it's not a product specifically as a gift. Um, and in fact, it's a year round product, which is another reason why I picked it. But uh, I certainly could see sales spiking uh, in the holiday season uh, as well. So we'll see how that goes. But it's all, it's just like launching a, a store. So if you were going to launch a hobby store, okay, you'd be a moron. If you launched a hobby store and you were trying to make a profit your first 30 days or your first 60 days, okay, you're going to have all these upfront costs, not to mention kind of grand opening costs. You're going to have to have a grand opening party and advertise in the newspaper, put a billboard up, run some radio ads. I don't know. You'd have to do a lot, probably a lot of stuff depending on how big of a city you lived in and how big of a launch you were trying to do. But if you are a hobby shop owner or any kind of shop owner, you're probably not looking to turn a profit profit. Probably for like three to six months at the earliest, maybe even like you know more like really like big stores typically don't turn profit or like cash flow positive until like twenty four months or like even thirty six months. Obviously, you have to have a lot of capital and a lot of uh, willingness to invest at at that kind of return rate. But um, on Amazon, again, I'm not I'm 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 doing a five hundred unit order cost me a little over six grand. I'm not looking to turn a profit. And so that's why um, it's a little scary. It's not like this online arbitrage stuff where I'm literally buying stuff. And I've turned over my inventory probably already one time. You know, I have a few items here and there that that I've had for maybe longer than 30 days, but I don't have a lot of stuff in my Amazon store that has sat there for longer than 30 days. And, And quite frankly, if it's sat there for longer than 30 days, I mark down the price and it sells. Um, at that point, I don't really care. I'm not really looking to make money. I'm just trying to turn it out, turn and burn, turn and burn. Amazon is not, especially with the, the way the long term storage fees, uh, you know, I don't, that's why I don't know if a lot of you eBay guys and check out my card guys would really be, do really well on it because a lot of these guys' attitude is, oh, I got to get the max out of every, every penny. I got to get every penny out of every last card. That's not the attitude to have on Amazon. You really should be trying to turn and burn and move, you know, push the top line. You should be trading your Amazon business exactly how Amazon runs the whole corporation. If you know anything about Amazon Corporation, it's that they don't care about the bottom line. In fact, most, most quarters, they don't make a profit, believe it or not. And In fact, in their 15-year, almost 20-year history of Amazon, they've almost never turned a profit in any year. But what does grow and grow rapidly is the top line, which is revenue or sales. And that's what I'm looking to do. Grow the top line while controlling. You know, I'm not losing money. But I'm trying to grow my top line, grow my top line, push, push, push. You're trying to reach scale. And then you can kind of coast a little bit. I'm really trying to reach scale and coast during the holiday time. When you start seeing huge volume and stuff, start pushing out the window there. But if you're trying to get every last nickel and you're keeping track of every little last expense and, oh, I need to keep the price at this so I you know, make $3 a unit, Amazon's not for you. Stay, on, stay in the minor leagues, stay, stay in little league and hit off a tee and stay on eBay at the flea market, basically. You're not ready for the big time. But if you're looking to push your top line, be aggressive, go, 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 maybe lose a little bit of money. Again, last month, I made $1,500. What's cool about this software, it tells you right at the top, profit for 2017. My profit for 2017, $1,602. Again, the last 30 days, I have $1,476 of profit, but my total profit for the year is $1,600. Why is that? It's because I had a ton of upfront costs. I had LLC fees, which were like, $600, $700, $600, 700 you know, registering in the state of Nevada. And I had label, I had to buy a label maker. I had to buy this, that. I have a lot of inventory that, again, that hasn't sold yet. I have a lot of, um, you know, I have, I have a lot of shipping costs, a lot of boxes that I've bought. I bought a lot, of, a lot of stuff. So I broke even, really. I actually lost a little bit of money the first 45, 50 days. But now it's starting to turn over, Um, and again, I've, I've, I've literally taken this profit and spent it all on a private label product, which I don't have full, I don't have full knowledge on whether it'll sell. So I'm willing to gamble a little bit, no risk, no reward. If you're one of these no risk guys and you sell on eBay, chances are you're probably making about the same amount of money you did this year as you did last year. (laughs) Chances are you're working nine to five or you're looking for another nine to five job. entrepreneurship is not for everybody. That's what I've learned over the years. I've thought, hey, I'll be able to get on a podcast. I'll be able to tell people, hey, do it this way, do it that way, and you guys will be able to do it exactly the same. I don't, that's not the case. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. If you're not willing to put your balls on the line, put some money on the line, go max out on a credit card or two, you're probably not ready. You're probably not an entrepreneur. If you're sitting there counting every penny, you're probably not an entrepreneur. It's just like investing. For years and years and years on this show, I've said, hey, stop buying Panini stuff. Stop buying these cards every month. Save a little bit of money. Invest your money. Build your wealth that way. Don't just buy card pieces of cardboard. And I don't get a ton of emails saying, hey, man, I bought this stock and it's up 40%. Whereas I bought Amazon stock... Late last year, it's up like fifty percent. I bought Tesla stock not that long ago, and it's up like forty percent. I bought Amazon last year when everybody was trashing it, it was like at 89, 90 bucks. I was buying it as much as I could. That's up to like $160 a share. Sure, I've had some losers over that time, or I've had a, a lot of stocks kind of go flat. I bought Nike, uh, you know, fifty some odd dollars a share, it's about the same. I bought Starbucks, about the same. Bank of America's been about flat for me. These are long-term investments. But there's a reason, again, why there's a 1% and a 99%. And if you want to be a part of the 1% that makes a lot of money, has a lot of freedom, you got to start thinking like them. you got to start acting like a one percenter. Instead of shutting your ears off to someone like Donald Trump, maybe you should actually listen to him. Check out my cards. Quick update here. started this count June 2015. It is now essentially September 2000. no, I started it June 2015. It is essentially September 2017, so a little over two years. I have 40 dollars in cash, 40 dollars and 18 cents in cash. So I have almost you know I have 40 percent of my, uh, my money back. I have 1,517 cards. So I've essentially paid, what is that? $60 for 1,517 cards. I'll let you do the math on it. It's not a lot per card. I have a total asking price of $1,562. So almost a dollar a card. I don't have all my cards priced. I have uh, 148 cards not for sale. So I have about 14, call it 1,300 cards uh, at a 1,562 asking price. That's if somebody came in, bought my port for full price, I'd get $1,562. I believe the liquidation of this account would be 90. I could easily off this in a port sale for 90% of that. So I'd be able to cash in 152. That's on the really low turn and burn like Wholesale, get me out of this business kind of price. So 152 plus 40, I'd be at 190, about 190 bucks, almost 200 bucks. So that's not bad. Um, Total sales. So the sales I have accrued $1,224.03. I've sold 3,901 cards. I've purchased 5,425 cards. Items that I've added to the site, zero. 0.0. Point 0.0. So, I have zero cards that I've added to the site. So, quick check out my cards update. Uh, you know, I, I, I've noticed more people are using this site. It's harder to find those great deals. You have to be able to get on the site all the time and find a good deal. That, those days, I think, are gone. I am, uh, you know, anticipating and really, like, kind of with excitement Fee changes. I'd like to see the fees change, stuff change about checking my cards. That may cause people to dump off their cards. I'm definitely looking for, to, forward to Black Friday when I'll be probably spending most of this $40. By then I might have closer to 60 maybe even $70 at that point. I'll be looking forward to that. Um, but I'm looking forward to maybe checking my cards, changing stuff, and a bunch of people, you know, crying in their mom's basement that it costs a nickel more to store your cards or whatever. I'll definitely be looking forward to buying some cards off some people if that happens. Last thing is, uh, make America. we gotta have a little make America. This will be like a quick Make America Great Again segment. So, um, a couple weeks ago, we had the events in I think Charlottesville or somewhere. Um, where essentially what we had was white-on-white white crime. And the media went berserk. I saw people saying, oh, God, the president needs to resign. Uh, the, you know, all, I, my Twitter stream was filled for days on people, you know, Nazi Germany and this and that, and oh, my God, the Jews, and oh, all the white people, blah, blah, blah. The white people are bad, but it was white-on-white was white crime. Okay? We had white on white crime. And the president is supposed, everybody demanded the president denounce it this way and this quickly and he needed to say this and that and not say this, on white, on white crime. Now, I will admit, did, did President Trump handle it properly? Probably not. Definitely not. Could he have said things differently? Yeah, probably. Could he have been more presidential? Probably. But I just found it really hilarious that most of you listening probably bought into it too that the media, which is white and Jewish so the media is controlled by white Jews That's kind of like the same thing but the media is controlled NBC, CBS it, pretty much CNN these are all controlled and run by white Jews so you have white on Jew crime You have some KKK guys doing stupid stuff, whatever they were doing. I try not to pay attention too much to what they do. And I don't think you should either. These are despicable people. But oh, the the white media flips out when there's white on white crime. White on Jew crime. And God rest the person's soul. I think one person died. Let me tell you. Today, alone, in Chicago, there's going to be black-on-black crime that dwarfs what happened in Charlottesville. Go down to Los Angeles. There's going to be white, black-on-black crime. There's going to be mexican and mexican crime. In my hometown of Stockton, California, which is only a, a, like 400,000 people, not even that, there was a murder every single day, and it was all gang-on-gang crime. Mexican on Mexican crime, black on black crime. Why doesn't the president be asked to denounce that every second of the day? Why isn't the mayor and the governor of Illinois and the senator of Illinois gone? Why haven't we kicked them out? Why hasn't the police chief been booted out? I guarantee you if it was white on white crime and white on Jew crime, Oh, my God, the media would be flipping out. And, oh, Donald Trump needs to do this and needs to do that and needs to say this and needs to say that. But when it's black on black crime and Mexican on Mexican crime, nobody gives a damn. So who really is racist out there? I saw so many people throwing out, oh, if you're a Trump supporter, you're racist. Oh, my God, you're, you're racist. You're a KKK sympathizer. Where's the sympathy for the black on black crime that's happening across this country? The Mexican on Mexican crime that's happening across this country at a far more regular rate and a more deadly rate than any white on white crime that exists. So be careful about throwing out that word, oh, you're a racist. You're a sympathizer with racists. Because let me tell you who's racist the white Jewish media. Again, it's, I'm not trying to defend what happened in Charlottesville. Not trying to make excuses. Not, certainly not trying to defend the group that perpetrated the acts. But the bottom line, people, is we have black-on-black black crime and Mexican-on-Mexican Mexican crime, and nobody gives a damn. That's not racist. That's just a part of society. That we have black-on-black black crime. That happens every day, every basically hour of the day, you probably have a black-on-black black crime or a Mexican-on-Mexican Mexican crime. Probably every 15, 20 minutes of the day, you have somebody dying because of black-on-black black crime, Mexican-Mexican Mexican crime. And the president's not asked to denounce that in a certain way or in a certain time frame like he was when it's white-on-white white crime. I don't see people calling for the head of the president and having, wanting him to resign or be impeached because of all the black-on-black crime. I don't see people calling for the head of the Chicago governor or mayor or police chief who are even more responsible than anybody to try to put an end to this black-on-black crime that is happening there and across this country, not just Chicago. That's just the prime example right now. It's happening in L.A. It's happening in Atlanta, happening in Texas, Shout out to everybody in Texas. Hope you guys are all doing well. But careful about throwing out the 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 racist sympathizers. If you're sympathizing with the white media, then you better be sympathizing with the black on black crime community in the Mexican-Mexican crime community. You better be retweeting that or demanding your senator deal with that or demanding your your state representative deal with that or your police chief or your mayor or your governor. But nobody is. And that's, in my opinion, that's racist. That's more racist than maybe what happened in Charlottesville. Because again, it's something that happens every single day, every single hour of the day that is happening. And the white media doesn't care. They only care when, oh, my God, it's KKK guys bringing up, uh, you know, bad memories of the past. It's a bunch of dumb white people attacking white people. That's when the media cares. Well, that's not racist. That's not alarming to any of you out there. None of you guys care about the black-on-black crime. That's just a part of society now. You don't care because it's in the ghetto. Your children aren't going to school with them. You don't have to drive through there. You don't have to work there. But heaven forbid it's in a white town, white neighborhood. Heaven forbid. Oh my God. White on white crime. Oh my God. The president needs to be impeached. But oh, black on black crime, Mexican on Mexican crime. Eh, no one gives a damn. So I found that to be kind of funny. Not really funny, actually. I just find it What I I find funny is the white media and how a lot of you guys are their puppets and you fall right in line with exactly how they want you to think. And that's to sympathize with white people and white Jewish people. And everybody else can basically go fuck themselves or everybody else doesn't really matter. That includes black people, Mexican people, Asian people. So... You can ask yourself if that makes any sense. You can always send me an email, sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can always tweet me at sportscardradio. I think some of you need to take a break from uh, the the Nazi Germany and the, the racist epitones. Again, think about it a little bit more before you just dive into what the media wants you to buy into. Why doesn't the president... Why isn't we calling for him to denounce all the black-on-black crime that happens every single day? Why isn't the mayor of Chicago, why isn't his head in a noose? Why isn't the police chief's head in a noose? Ask yourself that question. I guarantee you most, uh, this is a sports card show podcast. I'm probably one of the only people bringing you this perspective. That is because white people, whether you're Jewish, whether you sympathize with the KKK, white people of all kinds, especially the ones on CNN and the ones that own NBC and all these liberal networks. Guess what? They think they're the shit. They think white people are more important and white people issues are more important. Boy, that that sounds a lot like the KKK. So maybe you're not sympathizing with the KKK, but you're sympathizing with a media that acts... In a very similar manner. That sympathizes only when it's white on white crime. That only demands people pay attention and be outraged when it's white on white crime. When it's black on black crime, Mexican on Mexican crime, eh, who cares? And that's a tragedy. It really is. More needs to be done about it. We need to put more funding, more effort into education. Obviously, I think police. We need more police presence, especially in these very violent areas. But we need to put more money, more attention on these communities that are having trouble. We need to put more money in their schools, more funding for teachers, more funding to after school programs, athletic programs, coaches, Positive influence. But you won't, you won't see that from CNN. You won't see that from NBC. They only care about when it's white-on-white crime. And from my Twitter stream, most of you only cared when it was white-on-white crime because I don't see any of you talking about all the black-on-black crime and Mexican-on-Mexican crime. None of you guys give a damn. So how different are you From the KKK. Not much. In my opinion. So ask yourself that question today. What am I doing about it? Well at least I talked about it on today's show. Openly. I volunteer at a school. That is probably. You know. Half white. Half Mexican half other races. So I do try to make an impact where I can. I did a lot with youth sports, especially in the ghetto of Stockton when I was younger. I don't live in Stockton anymore. But again, just thought it was funny. We had white-on-white crime and the media flipped out. And all of you fall, fall right in law, line with that. And it's definitely disingenuous, in my opinion. And, but it's a sign of where we are it's a, a society today. All white people, including the ones that run the media... Jewish people. And and hey, you should be proud of your heritage. Black people should be proud to be black. White people should be proud to be white. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that's racist. But the white media only sympathizes, only demands the president resign when it's white on white crime. And my Twitter stream only blows up when it's white on white crime. And that's a problem. That's where we are in society today. Hopefully we can change that. I doubt it. Especially after seeing what happened uh, this last week. With these last couple weeks. Seems to me it's only going to get worse. And it's going to be perpetrated by the white media. So have fun watching them. Have fun following their cult and their vision. Whether or not it's leading you down the right path or not, I'll let you decide. But until another time, another place, that's about it today. So hopefully you guys are all doing well. Don't work too hard. Again, if you're, at the, if you're doing the 9 to 5 grind, if you're at a job you only kind of like or don't like, it's nobody's fault but your own. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm here to really tell you guys the truth. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to be willing to risk some stuff, okay? I remember when I I had a job. This was like in 2009, I think, 2008 or 2009. I can't remember when it was. But I had a job. I was lucky to get the job. Back in 2008, 2009, not everybody was hiring like they are today. So I was lucky to have a job. It was a cool job. But I remember quitting that job before, you know, I had no money really. Even kind of working there, I, you know, I was making, I think, 1800 bucks a month or something like that. I still had no money. I was working like 44, 45 hours a week. And they wanted me to like work harder. And I was like, Pff. I remember quitting that job and saying, I remember telling my family members, like, I'm quitting now. Definitely not the best financial decision but in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to allow me to sit at home, work on these websites, because I wasn't making a lot of money on websites at that point in my life. I said, I'm going to be able to then take that time, instead of working 80 hours a week at some other guy's job, I'm going to sit at home, work 80 hours a week on my websites, and I'm going to be making a lot of money. And sure as hell, that's exactly what happened. I really haven't looked back. That's literally the last job I've ever had. The last job I've like literally had to have. But so many people out there, and I get it, if you have a home, a mortgage, a family, this and that, it's not as easy to say, okay, I'm quitting today and I'm gonna go work on some websites that'll make $3 a month for four months before they start making real money. But no risk, no reward. If all you do is invest in uh you know, treasuries, and and you put your money in the bank and earn 0.25 interest, well, guess what? You're not risking a lot, and chances are in 10 years, you're not going to have a lot in your bank account. But if you took that same amount of money and put it into risky stocks like Tesla and Amazon and and some of these other high flyers, well, maybe you'd lose it all too. But at least you have the chance to double, triple, quadruple 10x your money. No risk, no reward. If you're not willing to put in the work, you're not willing to risk, there's not going to be a reward. And so I definitely, um, as somebody that's you know, been making money kind of the easy way for the last couple of years, I've kind of rekindled this. It's like, man, I had to again, I had to put $6,000 on a credit card today. That, uh, that's due in 30 days. And I, I'll be getting, I will have sold $0 of the product in 30 days. I'll likely have it deli- be in the process of being delivered to me. But again, it's for a product I have no idea that will sell. I have no idea how fast it will sell if it does sell. I'm not anticipating making a lot of money, if any. And I'll have to likely, because it'll be October, I'll likely have to reorder the product halfway through the sales cycle. So I'll have 500 units, and if it's going well, I won't want to run out of stock because it's going to take me another 30 days to get more stock. So I'm going to have to actually buy more to get it in in time for the holiday rush. So I'm going to probably have to outlaw, you know, I'm going to have to probably throw down even more money. And if I buy a thousand units, I'm going to have to throw down like 10K. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But no risk, no reward. If all you're doing is like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a group breaker, or I'm just going to sell on eBay, well, in my opinion, you're not really risking a whole lot. And chances are, you're probably not going to make a whole lot. And on top of that, you're probably going to be working every single day. I have like four items on eBay, and I get like four emails a week on, on eBay. It's like ridiculous. I mean, eBay is a nightmare. Just on the questions you get. I mean, like, can you ship the item? It's like, I've already shipped the item. The tracking number's uploaded, and you'll get a message. Can you ship the item? (laughs) Anyways, hopefully you guys are doing well out there. Take it easy. Don't work too hard. Start risking. If you want to get ahead in life, you have nothing to lose. If you have a job you hate and you want to get out of it, and you want to move on to something else, well, what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose, okay? You can always go back to that job, or keep it, or work part-time, or whatever, or half-ass it, and focus on your, your, your other business that you're trying to start, so get to work on something new, and uh, good things will happen. Otherwise, don't expect anything to, well, you know, you're not going to hit the Powerball jackpot uh, just sitting there. So hopefully you guys are doing well out there. Check out my new podcast, PowerSellingRadio.com. So hit the website up. It's just a, you know, just a a blog with the, with the stream on it. Um, But yeah, Power Selling Radio is my new podcast where I talk about internet marketing and selling on Amazon. So if you're interested in that, check it out. But until next time, we are out of here.